This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. My name is Armand Childers, and I have the honor of hosting Rahel Rotsas here to talk about uh, their wonderful book, Sexual Self-Fashioning, Iranian Dutch Narratives of Sexuality and Belonging, which came out of uh, Balkan uh, Publishers in 2022. Welcome to the New Books Network, Rahel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. I, I was wondering if you would like to start telling how this book came about what's the story behind it uh-huh. yeah so the why of the project <laughs> yeah it's a while ago um and it's also a complicated questioning way uh because i guess the reason why we do what we do is partly it happens subconsciously <laughs> um uh, but i think it is probably related to the fact that i wanted to know more about uh, where I come from. Uh, so I moved from Iran to the Netherlands at the age of 15. Um, and I think that's a period of life where you are, you have a lot of questions about identity, who you are, who you want to be. And, um, and for me, as a sort of consequence of the migration, um, it meant this process of, you know, searching for identity meant uh, focusing a lot on uh, surviving the, the new environment, like learning the language and learning the system and the culture and everything. Uh, so I was very much focused on that. And I think later on in life, when I um, uh, finished my master in, in anthropology, I sort of wanted to also pay attention to where I came from and whether I could get to know more about that. And this um, academic way of uh, engaging that question uh, seemed a very safe way of doing that because it also creates like a distance. Um, you can ask questions. And that seemed to me like a safe position from where I could, uh, yeah, think about my background and where I came from. I guess that's one part of it. And another part of the why of this project is because I noticed that um, issues of sexuality and gender um, 
became very explicitly discussed among, uh, well, the Iranian Dutch, but also uh, other diasporic communities, um, especially in European and uh, American um, context. Um, so in birthday parties, but also picnics or uh, political uh, activities everywhere I went, these issues became explicitly discussed. So there was this interest uh, in talking about them, and I wanted to understand why. So I guess that was um, also part of the reason why I decided to do this project. And how did you decide to kind of also, I don't know, like couple the questions about being in diaspora and sexuality? Hmm. Well, uh, that's another factor that, that is also related to the why of the project. Uh, and that's the Dutch context, where um, this link between uh, your position as a migrant and uh, whether you've managed to integrate um, successfully in Dutch society uh, based on your views on sexuality, your attitude towards issues that are related to, for instance, homosexuality, uh, especially homosexuality at the moment, at that moment in the Netherlands. Um, these were seen as like criteria um, to sort of measure the level of integration of different um, migrant, uh, Im immigrant communities, especially those from uh, Islamic countries. Um, and in case of the Iranian Dutch, what was uh, striking was the fact that they sort of were mostly absent in these kind of discussions. So the focus was on uh, Turkish Dutch and the Moroccan Dutch community very much. Um, not so much on the Iranians. And um, the only way that they would get attention in the media was based on, you know, they're rather actively involved in the job market and they're doing well in terms of education and so on. So as if there is there, there there's no problem around the Iranian Dutch. Um, and But I knew there there's more into this and I um, wanted to also investigate that. Um, yeah, so um, uh, not just why Iranians were in, were suddenly discussing issues of gender and sexuality, but also uh, what it means in this context of the Dutch discourse on integration and migration, um, the position that these communities take. And I mean, I also I, I find it fascinating how there's this discourse of Dutch tolerance, uh, especially when it comes to issues like homosexuality, but that tolerance is never kind of extended to uh, diff other kinds of differences, especially when it comes to uh, migration from the so-called Islamic countries. How does that kind of figure in your uh, in your research? I was wondering. Yeah, well, I uh, one of the goals was to specifically uh, question this assumption. Uh, I think at that moment, the uh, probably most prominent concept used in the, this, the this Dutch discussions on migration was integration, which I think it's problematic in itself because it assumes that there is something that you can call the Dutch culture. And then others coming to the Netherlands are supposed to sort of integrate into this, assuming that both uh, the Dutch culture and the migrants' culture are static entities. Um, and so I already knew that there is something um, to problematize here. Um, but also, uh, so so yeah, to, to question this idea of a static culture in both 
contexts, um, to diversify what culture means, um, and also how culture, cultural, um, or I should say attitudes towards sexuality specifically in case of this project, how they emerge from specific uh, historical um, Iranian historical, but also Dutch historical context, and to show how this is, um, yeah, a co yeah, contextual. Um, that that is what I saw as as my goal with this research by by looking at, um, yeah, what is the role of 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 the um, background, the historical background, um, in case of this community, but also what is going on in the Dutch context, because I'm sure that if I where to do this research now, um, uh, I would I would find different answers and and, and uh, things things would have changed. Maybe we can talk about it later on because I later on uh, had interviews with a group of younger Iranian Dutch after I finished this project, and then I immediately saw this transformation. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I would love to come back to yeah. this later yeah. on. Um, and then I mean, you kind of. Uh, shape the project between three kind of questions virginity homosexuality and uh, premarital co cohabitation um and you talked also a wide range of iranian dutch that's as you were saying of course it's not a homogenous group um can you talk about the research process and maybe the kinds of responses you got when it came to these different questions in your research field Yes, so I uh, sort of chose the topics based on um, what I saw happening in the Dutch discourse on migration and sexuality, as well as what I saw was um, seen as important to uh, the Iranian Dutch community um, in my fieldwork. So homosexuality, I uh, almost immediately knew had to be a topic uh, because the Dutch uh, identity discourse was very much related to it. Like this is the sort of ultimate uh, criterion to belong to this society. If you accept homosexuality, then you're, you know, part of this uh, culture and um, you're a successful migrant. Um, and but I also uh, saw that a lot of Iranian Dutch parents were worried about how to deal with the fact that their children are growing up here. Um, and they will have uh, sexual relationships before marriage, and this could mean that they also might want to cohabit for a while before they get married. And this was a very complicated topic, because on the one hand, they thought, well, it's great that our children have this freedom compared to their own life uh, in Iran, where they did not have these opportunities and sort of had to get married without really knowing their partner. So they thought, this is great, this, these kinds of opportunities. But it was also hard for them to sort of, um, uh, yeah, provide the children with, with complete freedom. And they also wanted to have some sense of control, like, okay, but, um, you know, what kind of relationships and um, under which conditions is it okay for my child to cohabit for a while? And, and um, so I knew these are topics that are important to the, um, uh, interlocutors. So that's sort of the reason. And I had to choose because sexuality is quite a broad concept. And uh, so I thought with these three, uh, so virginity uh, or sex before marriage, uh, cohabitation uh, outside marriage and 
um, homosexuality, I thought I can cover a lot. And I mean, uh, maybe this also relates to your field research and how you did it, but like also what kind of conversations did you end up having with people around these issues? Yeah, very interesting ones. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I, I think what was uh, really interesting was this sort of embracing the idea of modernity, uh, which actually in the end wasn't as simple as I thought in the beginning, uh, what this exactly means. Um, so on the one hand, um, many people did try to sort of distance themselves from uh, their even own past version of who they were. So like I, I changed, I transformed through migration. They re-emphasize that uh, change for the better, of course, and and the idea was to move in slowly, but certainly towards uh, becoming more modern. Um, to also kind of, I think, justify the fact that they left their uh, life in Iran and came here and and facing all kinds of difficulties as a migrant group. Um, and but th this was a complicated sort of claim because. Uh, it really didn't mean uh, taking distance from being Iranian. Uh, so it didn't mean becoming Dutch in that sense. Um, they did claim to have integrated indeed to such an extent, but it's still, still working on it <laughs> and being perhaps more successful than other uh, communities, in the migrant communities in the Netherlands. Uh, but... Uh, there was also this idea of no, this is this doesn't mean that I'm less Iranian, um, and I still hear that very often. I happened I, last weekend. I was in Germany in Cologne for a dance festival, an Iranian dance uh, festival, um, and yeah, one thing that happened was but was interesting. Now it this reminds me of that was that uh, well, someone wanted to pay for food. My sister was paying and. He wanted to, to do that. And my sister said, oh, no, no, I will do it. And later on, he said, oh, I hope you're not becoming Dutch. Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, I recognize this also from my PhD research very much. Like there is a uh, clear distinction between, uh, yes, becoming modern and becoming sort of different from who you were in the past. This is a good, good sign. <laughs> but that doesn't mean becoming Dutch or losing your uh, Iranian uh, sense of identity at the same time. So yeah, this was one of the major, uh, or the most prominent narrative maybe uh, that I, I came across. But as you've read in the book, there are also other other positions that people took, but this was maybe the, yeah, um, the one that I heard the most. And maybe we can talk, can we talk about also some of the other kind of uh, narratives uh, that maybe are on the fringes, but still they're there. Yes. So I, um, but interestingly, I had to look for that very uh, consciously, deliberately. Like, are there other positions? Uh, what about people um, who do uh, sort of embrace the, the, the yeah, uh, Iranian tradition uh, and maybe also Islam? It can't be that everyone is taking the distance from that and. Um, and I knew uh, also from um, my own network and friends that there are people, but they're not that present in the Iranian community. They're not that vocal. And 
so I had to search for that very uh, deliberately and consciously. And um, and it took a while and I did find some people who were willing to talk to me. But yeah, they were also very um, careful in doing that. Like they wanted to know more about who I am and what this project is about, uh, contrary to other people, because I felt that as a researcher focusing on this topic, I was welcome everywhere. Like people would want to talk to me immediately. I didn't even have to convince them because they all recognized the idea, well, this is an important topic and we're going to help you doing this research. And, uh, but in, in case of the other smaller group um, who yeah, explicitly claimed a uh, Muslim identity, it was different. They wanted to know who, who, am, who I am and why this project. And uh, I would mention and emphasize that whatever their story is, I'm interested in it and uh, that I'm not looking for you know, specific uh, answers. Um, and those conversations were very interesting as well. Uh, and what I heard was um, well, a lot of a lot of different stories, but um, it, it sort of um, revolved around the idea that wanting to become modern is also, it's sort of an illusion. Now, what they saw among others in the Iranian Dutch community because, uh, or it's going too fast. It, it can't happen overnight. Something that, uh, you know, uh, Islam is part of who we are, uh, culturally also, not just religiously. Um, and so it, it, yeah, you can't just uh, shake it away. You can't just, um, yeah, uh, so assume that it that it can be gone once you decide that it should be gone uh, out of your life, out of your uh, mentality. Um, and then, so they they would, um, in fact, claim a more authentic um, uh, identity, uh, saying that they, yeah, they, they want to stay close to who, who they were in, in Iran, what they have as their sort of background and um, criticize other people in the Iranian Dutch community. They also knew that there is this complicated relationship with religion when it comes to the Iranian uh, community uh, outside Iran, because many people fled the country for political reasons. And often those political reasons are also somehow connected to religion, um, especially those with a communist background uh, would associate the all the, the things that the regime in Iran has done with, you know, religiosity one way or another. So for them, uh, the, the yeah political oppression and religion were, are closely connected. And this small group, a smaller group, wanted to convey uh, that, well, that connection is not um, self-evident, that you can be religious and you can be, uh, you can sort of embrace your tradition without um, yeah, uh, being one with the, with the regime in Iran. I mean, that's really interesting also thinking about how uh, coming out narratives from migrants in the Netherlands are usually expected also uh, expected to be about also leaving religious behind religion behind and that religion is usually Islam. So in a way that's not expected. So it's kind of a uh, kind of a c cultural coming out of you know, from Iran to to the Dutch society in a way. Yeah, and... yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Cultural coming out. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's a 
uh, sort of an imperative um, if you want to belong to that society. And it's a matter of survival also, I think, for a lot of Iranians. Like, um, if I want to be part of this society, which they uh, chose to be because they this is where they're building their life, uh, and also thinking about their, their children and the future generation, uh, it's sort of, um, yeah, expected from you to do so. But I also think this goes back to the Iranian history as well. Uh, like the whole modernization process, starting from more than a century uh, ago, um, was always about this relationship between, uh, or this tension between religiosity and tradition on the one hand and uh, coming modern on the other. Uh, so to them, it, this is not an this is not a new discourse. It's something that they're familiar with, um, and so yeah, could easily go back to and and uh, yeah, uh, use some elements from in, their, in order to clarify their own position in, in the Netherlands. So this is this mix, mixture of what the Dutch society expects from migrants, but also yeah, their own uh, history. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I mean, that was also really interesting to read about kind of the historical background in Iran, uh, which also, I mean, to me, it's quite, in some sense, quite similar to Tur like Turkish history about this kind of questions about religiosity versus modernity. And um, I also wanted to ask you, I mean, like you are, what I loved about the book is like you're showing how nothing is as simple as people think uh, when it comes to uh, how people self-identify, what kind of choices they have to make, what kind of choices they feel like they can make. So like the kind of negotiations between being in the Netherlands versus uh, how they would like to live their lives in the Netherlands and as Iranian Dutch people. And also religion then comes in as this like uh, other factor. And... I was wondering how, um, I mean, this idea of modernity kind of shaped all these discussions and how this kind of also connection maybe between sexuality and modernity. Like, I have a simple idea in mind, like what, how those connections could be articulated in different, uh, by different people. But I would love to also hear about like, then how modernity becomes a matter of belonging, sexual belonging? Um, actually, quite explicitly. So this word, uh, sometimes as a researcher, you come up with the concepts to capture what you think people are telling you. 
But in this case, modernity came to me directly from uh, the interlocutors. Um, so I would even encounter situations where uh, people would tell me, I'm not sure if I'm the right person uh, because I'm really not that Iranian <laughs> uh, or not a tr in a traditional sense. Uh, and asking what that meant, uh, I would receive an answer like, yeah, but I've, I've really changed. I've become much more modern. I have modern friends and uh, Iranian and Dutch. And um, so what exactly are you looking for? And I would then say, doesn't matter whatever your story is, I'm interested in it. And uh, so it was interesting that it came to me very explicitly, but then because I knew this is a very complicated concept, um, uh, but what I decided to do was to see um, how this modernity uh, in a way functions in the stories that they're telling me, like uh, try to trace where does modernity sort of come comes up in, in the stories and uh, what does it mean? What does it enable people to claim? Um, and this meant, on the one hand, indeed, positioning yourself in a sort of complicated position, on the one hand, integrated in that society, but not completely non-Iranian either. Um, but on the other hand, it would also come up as a concept to sort of um, um, uh, claim or no to to sort of set conditions for how this transformation from tradition to modernity would look like because modernity also allowed them to, to for instance we just talked about parents concerned with their children's sexual freedom uh, to sort of set boundaries on what that then means that freedom uh, sexual freedom so uh, ideas such as rationality um, which I think also also discussing in the book at some point um, would be used that the idea is you, you become modern, but that means also that you you're a rational person who uh, doesn't just enter any kind of relationship uh, just to have fun, but you reflect on why you're doing what you're doing, and this rational uh, attitude is sort of a condition for the children to. Uh, enjoy their freedom, sexual freedom in this case. Um, so modernity was something to uh, yeah, allow people to claim um, a, a change and a transformation as a consequence of migration, but also to set boundaries on uh, well what is what is this what does this transformation then mean? Um, yeah, and and but I'll, but yeah, yeah, this is we just we, we also talked about people who claim the religious identity. For them, modernity was also something that could be potentially um, uh, fake, like something that you're not you, you can't become so easily. And uh, yeah, and then for yet another group, the more uh, the, the younger generation, I would call their people in their twenties to thirties, and this was a smaller group of younger people, I should say. Um, modernity was also something to be critical about because they also saw, saw this nostalgic idea among their parents of, you know, um, what migration means and uh, naively believing in the fact that claiming a modern identity means that you suddenly belong to the Dutch society. They would question that and, uh, yeah, have a more critical view of that. Maybe we can also talk about that more if you want. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, maybe this is a good time to also go back to what you said about recently interviewing 
younger people. What did you see was different? Yeah, well, uh, in the beginning, we talked about how important it is in which context uh, these uh, attitudes uh, and beliefs are shaped, right? And um, I guess it was towards the end of my project with this younger generation, but also later on, that I saw how uh, this, oh, well, sort of uncritical uh, idea of, oh, yeah, we're modern, we belong to the society because we accept uh, homosexuality and, and sex before marriage, that this would be questioned in terms of um, uh, questioning, in fact, the, the, the uh, Dutch discourse of migration um, and the, the expectations from certain um, communities. But as you said, this sort of conditioned uh, way of uh, allowing people to belong or not to belong. Or, or this tolerance, uh, having certain boundaries. So, um, uh, so what I heard from this younger generation was that uh, what would we be, what my parents assume or our parents assume that they're that different from uh, Turkish, uh, Dutch, or Moroccan Dutch communities, but in fact uh, we're in a similar position as them, and this is sort of wishful thinking, um, and uh, so they would in fact, seek solidarity uh, based on anti-racist, um, anti-Islamophobic uh, uh, notions with other communities in the Netherlands. And But this was, in a, I think, in a context where people in the Netherlands, but also uh, more globally, uh, where did this anti-racist, for instance, uh, movement became uh, stronger and, and more present. And um, so... Yeah, the Iranian Dutch sort of also, uh, yeah, wanted to contribute to this and saw the, a role for themselves uh, in that movement as well. And this is what I am still seeing among young people um, happening. And do you think, uh, since you've done this research, which was which years, can I ask again? Yeah, it started in 2009 and it, I finished in 2014. Mm-hmm. And like since then, do you see a change in the Dutch society in general about uh, like sexuality? Because I feel like, I mean, uh, I feel like kind of the homonationalist times as we know them, they're kind of coming to an end. Uh, although like in the Netherlands, especially the right wing has been very powerful in being so-called inclusive of homosexuality. Uh, as kind of a measuring stick, as you said, uh, against migrants. But I feel like in the rest of the world, there's a decline in kind of acceptance in, in general. Do you see, is, is there a similar attitude in the Netherlands? I think uh, as for the Dutch right-wing parties, it's uh, actually a very complicated uh, topic because on the one hand, certain liberal parties do tend to still embrace homosexuality or sexual freedom and autonomy as something that belongs to the Dutch culture uh, in order to, um, you know, make this distinction between or demarcate Dutch culture from uh, immigrants' culture. Um, but there are also political parties that have a more difficult uh, relationship to uh, queer issues, of, of, for instance, uh, uh, queerness, because uh, they also tend to want to go back to, you know, the traditional conservative uh, way of life, including gender and sexuality relations. So it depends a little bit on the on the political party we're talking about. 
but um, recently, um, I haven't been following this that closely because of my last projects were on other issues. But what I uh, have noticed is that indeed sexuality has become less prominent topic and now is racism and uh, a much more um, uh, on the agenda, uh, something that people have to kind of deal with. And this is quite new in the Netherlands because, or new, I mean, people have been trying to put this on the agenda for a very long time, but it's only recently that it's become a really uh, popular, or yeah, uh, a topic in a popular discourse, um, which is also thanks to uh, certain political movements in the Netherlands. Bayein is one of the political parties that really explicitly leaks this into an issue that we need to deal with. Um, so, uh, which, yeah, uh, forces <laughs> uh, Dutch people to um, look at, well, the, the way uh, migrants and uh, are, but yeah, people who have been living here for a very long time um, are treated uh, in society and to what extent racism plays a role. Um, so I think that's a much more, um, yeah, uh, discussed topic nowadays. And maybe lastly, I'm curious what you're working on uh, now. Yeah, well, um, after this project, I uh, worked on, um, for a postdoc, research I've worked on uh, sex education in Bangladesh, which was also very interesting, a completely different cultural context. And I looked at how, uh, so program sexual, um, uh, or sex, sex education programs that were built in the Netherlands, uh, tra transformed and translated and, and, and traveled to uh, Bangladesh and how they were taught, uh, which was super interesting. Um, and then I have, um, become more interested in the topic of love. Um, so still very much interested in intimate relationships. I think that will, uh, yeah, uh, stay <laughs> uh, my main topic. Uh, but I'm, I've become more interested in love as a, uh, or the political potential, I should say, of love. Love as something that is not only uh, in relation, not only in relation to romantic love and uh, monogamous, uh, relationships, but also beyond that, what love has to offer as a concept, how we can think with love uh, in terms of um, uh, imagining alternative relationships with one another, but also with non-human uh, beings. Um, uh, yeah, so my next project will be on midlife um, and how people in midlife um, try to maintain love uh, while experiencing all kinds of uh, social pressure uh, to be good parents, to be successful in their careers, and so on and so on. And it will focus on the Netherlands uh, in terms of my own field work. And there will be two PhD uh, students involved who are working in Germany and Sweden. So can make it comparison. Oh, that sounds very exciting. I look forward to reading that book as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rahil. It was such a lovely conversation and um, I look forward to, as I said, the next book. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for the wonderful questions also.